Yeah, go ahead and give God a big clap. That's good. I'd like to sing that around the throne of God with a few billion believers and, and be a part of that moment. That'll be awesome. Uh, I'm just shocked at what an extra hour of sleep does for your singing on a Sunday morning. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you for bringing such enthusiasm to worship someone who deserves every bit of enthusiasm in worship you can give him, that's for sure. Uh, we're in the, the book of Hebrews this morning, preaching through the book of, of Hebrews. And uh, last week we answered really three big questions. One was, who is in your life that's been approved by God to put you into a relationship with God? We talked a little bit about some the- deep theology last week. Uh, uh, you can't just get to God any old way you want to get to Him. There has to be a God-approved person that brings you into a relationship. That was a high priest in the Old Testament and, and in the opening pages of the New That person is Jesus Christ in the new covenant in which you live. He is God's approved person. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He is God's approved high priest to take your hand and take the hand of God and put the two hands together. That's God's choice. Last week we talked about some of the problems with human priests. I don't know if you remember this conversation. They have their own weaknesses. They have their own sins. They die. They, there's all kinds. They're tribal. They can't re- represent everyone because they, they're just limited in their, their, their scope and their understanding. But Jesus Christ is so much better than that. Then we answered the really big question last week. Who needs a high priest anyway? Yeah, there's the answer. Here we are right here. Uh, uh, people who are sinners, and I include myself in that category, uh, who want a relationship with a holy God, need someone who can take the hand of a sinner and can take the hand of that holy God and put the two hands together. I need a high priest. And that person in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So we set that argument up that I need a high priest and his name is Jesus Christ. Now let me, this week uh, uh, I had several moments in this past week where I had opportunities to broker peace between two offended parties. Had an opportunity to call this person and try to say speak gracefully and talk to this person and say speak gracefully and try to put the two people together and try to work through some offense and, and, and some conflict that had been a part of their relationship. And uh, that's part of what, what being a, a, not just a pastor but a small group leader and uh, a parent, uh, I mean, you, you do a lot of this. You would try to get offended parties to, to live peacefully together. Uh, sometimes it looks, you know, parents are like trying to mediate peace between two kids, trying to kill each other in the back seat while you're driving down the highway. Nonetheless, it's the same thing, trying to get two parties to work together peacefully. And uh, uh, I see two, when, when, as I, I'm trying to get people to work together and work out their differences, there are two main responses. One is avoidance. When we have conflict in our life or hurt feelings, we just want to avoid. Just, just stay away from the person you have a conflict with and just try to avoid that whole situation. And that's a normal response. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's a normal reaction to my feelings are hurt or I have conflict. The other one is an explosive confrontation. Uh, it's kind of like two, two extremes here. One is just r- run and hide from it. The other one is just run in there and just blow up and just blow up the whole uh, situation. In both of those responses, neither of which are, are correct responses, both of those responses you're being controlled by your hurt feelings. In both of those responses you're being controlled by your wounded feelings. If you've ever been controlled by hurt feelings, then you know that is a miserable condition to live in. Trying to live your life around your hurt feelings and avoidance or confrontation or explosion or all these things. And honestly, every one of us has ample opportunities in a week to get offended, to get ticked off, to, to, to get, get our feelings hurt by someone. Uh, as I said in the first service, all you got to do is get on the freeway and you have an opportunity to get your feelings hurt by someone. Just try to communicate with, uh, with people. Just try to, you know... Uh, get out of the house and you can get your feelings hurt. There's always going to be ample opportunity for that. Uh, as I'm speaking this morning, maybe you could let your mind focus a little bit on a time when, when a friend or a family member uh, did something that upset you or disappointed you or, or hurt your feelings. And we'll, we'll see how, how we did respond to it, how we should have responded to it, and how successful were you 
in resolving that situation uh, to a good outcome. This morning, when we talk about Jesus being our great high priest and being a better high priest than the world had ever known, what we're talking about is we have someone in our lives who is a master, who is an expert at resolving hurt feelings. He is an expert at taking two people that are very far apart, God and sinful man. That's about as far apart as you can get, a holy God and a sinful creation. And put the two parties together in a loving, meaningful, forgiving, grace-filled relationship. Jesus Christ is a relationship expert. And he is, this is why we speak this morning of Jesus being a better high priest. He stands between God and us. And for our part, he secures our forgiveness. He acts, if you would, as our attorney. Uh, John used the word advocate. He is our advocate with the Father. That is an attorney who represents the best interests of his client. So when Jesus speaks to God on your behalf, he's trying to secure the best interests, the best outcome he can for the people he represents as high priest. This is why you want Jesus as your high priest, as your attorney, as your advocate, because he knows how to speak humanity. He knows how to speak to God in holiness. He knows both languages. He understands the language of God. He understands the language of man. He is a better high priest, and he's the one who can bring you uh, uh, into reconciliation, if you would, into a meaningful relationship. He understands the frailties of human flesh. He understands the demands of holiness on God's side. And he ab- he's able to broker a relationship between that uh, vast differences. Let me give you three main reasons why this morning Jesus is a better high priest to us living in this modern age than the world had ever known among human priests. Jesus is a million miles better. He's better, number one, this morning because he gets you. When I say he gets you, I mean he understands you. Sometimes you try to talk to someone, you're like, well, you just don't get it. When we're talking about Jesus Christ this morning, mediating between you and God, the reason you want Jesus Christ, he gets you. He totally understands you. Now, that can be good, and that can be a little scary for us as well, but he totally, totally gets you. Let me, this is a thread found all through the book of Hebrews, so let me give you some scriptural basis for this. Hebrews 2, verse number 18 says this, For in that he, speaking of Jesus, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. He gets you. Why? He was tempted. He suffered as a human. He totally gets you when you say, I'm suffering, I'm hurting. I understand, he says. Lord, Lord I'm being tempted. Lord, I'm frustrated. Lord, my, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to have my feelings hurt. I'm tempted to blow somebody up. I'm tempted just to run away. I, I'm tempted to react in, a, in, in, a, in an irrational manner. Jesus said, I totally get the, the circumstance that you're in. I've walked where you're, you're walking right now. I totally understand what you're processing. Skip a few chapters ahead. You find the same thing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. Now this is, I have to admit to you, this is written in a very complicated way. Here's where we, kind of the old King James, uses a double negative in this speech, which is really hard to grasp. For we have not an high priest. Well, when I read that, my mind thinks, I don't have a high priest. Is that what your mind thinks? I don't have a high, I have not a high priest. But it uses another negative, which cannot be... I don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of my infirmities. That sounds like I have the flu. But was in an infirmary. But was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. The, the, more, the, the kind of uh, other modern translations keep the double negative, but it's a little clear, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, just as we are, in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. God's word just took the double negative out and said it straightforward. We have a chief priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Is that clear enough? We don't, it's not we don't, we don't, cannot, we do have a high priest, chief priest, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses 
He was tempted in every way that we are. Now, obviously, they didn't have computer porn in the first century. So you say, well, Jesus wasn't tempted just as I am. But in every category, if you would, in every category of temptation, sure, uh, things change. But he also had some things he faced that you didn't face. Okay? He walked just about everywhere he went, never saw a refrigerator in his life. I mean, he had other temptations that you don't have. I mean, just, just complications with life, living in an, in an ancient world. They, they were, they, Christians were persecuted and mistreated. Just, he had things that he dealt with you. You don't deal with specifically, but in every category, whether you say misunderstood, problems with family, problems with life, problems with fleshly temptation, every category, he was tempted like you are. That's why I'm saying to you this morning, Jesus gets you. He understands you. He was tempted in every category. God came in human flesh, wrapped in human flesh, walked this earth, and he experienced what you experienced. That's how come, that's why he gets you. Now, this is really the Christmas story, so I don't want to overtell this right now, because in a few weeks we'll be telling it again. But God came to the earth in human form. Listen, that, that has significant implications to you and I several thousand years later. When he says, I'm now your high priest, the fact that he was human, just like us, is humongous to us. It's huge to us. Because we say, God, you just don't understand what I'm feeling. Oh, yeah, you do, don't you? Oh, God, well, you've never had your feelings hurt. Oh, you have, haven't you? Well, you've never been betrayed like... Oh, okay. Well, your family... Oh, okay. Well, he says, I get you. I've walked right where you walk. Listen, just pour it out. I get it. Go ahead. Get it out. But I do understand. I am touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Like your heart would break when you see your child hurting. You're touched by their hurt. And your heart goes out to them. God says, that's how I feel about you. My heart goes out for you. I'm touched by what you're experiencing. It means to us this morning that Jesus identifies with us, let me pull my cord here a little bit. Get my head won't turn. Uh, Jesus identifies with us. Now listen to my sentence carefully. Jesus identifies with you. Now you'll hear this sentence a lot in American culture today. I identify as. This is a modern thing. You're going to hear more and more and more in American culture. I am a man. I identify as a woman. We have a senator who is white. She identifies as a Cherokee Indian. I've met people who are humans, and they said, I identify as a cat. Now, it takes all kinds to make a world. But today when you hear, I identify as, here's what I want to say to you. If you're a human being, you can never become a cat. Now, you can have surgically implanted whiskers, and you can have your ears trimmed to a point, and you have your teeth filed to points, but you're still a human being. You just track with me. It's, don't be nervous. I'm not going to say anything that's going to offend anybody. Just don't be nervous. A cat can never be a human being. You can alter your body however you want to, but a man can never be a woman. And a woman can never be a man. For thousands of years, this uh, I, I'm not an expert, and I'll just put that out there, but you can find an expert and you all can discuss it. There's probably one sitting in the room here somewhere. But for thousands of years, this was called dysphoria. It's a mental condition. It's a psychological disorder. It means I, when I stand... It, now, listen, all of us, when we stand in front of the mirror, don't always love what we see. Amen? Can I get a witness now? You're a little frustrated with your body, and you're like, I'd like to change some things. Okay, now that's not unhealthy. If you change the things to become a better version of you. But if you say, I don't like what I see, I want to become a dog or a cactus. Or I'd like to be a rock or... I think I would be a windmill. That's, that's a psychological disorder called dysphoria, and you need help, okay? It's a psychological disorder. Because you can never be a windmill. You're a human being. Go ahead, say amen. That's fine. Don't, don't be nervous. You, you can never be what you're not. You are what you are. And you wanting to be a better version of you is a good thing, a better version of you. And so hit the gym, lay off the carbs, cut out the sugar, you know what I'm saying? Go for a walk. Go on a trip. I mean, do things that are healthy and holy and, and try to be a better version of you and let God work to create that abundant life in your life that you want. 
and to, that's healthy, that's holy. But you looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I'd like to be a Chevrolet. It can't happen. It's a psychological disorder to even think you could be a Chevrolet. Does that make sense? Now, when Jesus uses this language, I identify with you, he's not talking about American culture. He's not saying it the way we say it. When he says, I get you, I identify with you, he really identified with you. You say, well, he's God. He could never be man. Stop right there. You're preaching the Christmas story now. God did become man. This is, what, this is the whole point of it. God said, I made you, and I made the world you live in, and if I want to make a body and put myself into it, I can do it. And he did it. Emmanuel, they said, God is with us. This is the Christmas story. God, born of a virgin, laid in a manger to be a real man, just as human as you and I are. When he said, I identify with you, he meant he literally became a human being. Now you say, well, how cool is that? Yeah, but what a step down for him. What a step down for him. Imagine you're a child in your bedroom making little Play-Doh people. You're the creator. There is the clay. And you're making a whole little world. You can make snakes. They're the easiest to make with Play-Doh. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you can make people and you can make a little world and you can make animals. And you're the creator and there is your medium and you are making. Imagine God made all of this but then became like his creation. So when he says, I get you, he means I get you. I have walked, I have lived a life in human flesh just like you. And I am touched with the feelings that you feel. The Greek word that's used in your Bible is the Greek word sympathio, which means to share an experience with someone else. Sympathio is where we get the English word to sympathize, sympathy sympathetic it means i share in an experience with you this morning we come to the house of god rejoicing because our high priest gets us he shared the same experiences that we are living in our current life right now the temptations that that you have the frustrations you have the hurt feelings that you have to deal with the trials that you have to deal with he said i totally get it been there done that and i'm sympathetic to what you're going through i feel what you feel as a matter of fact here's why i can help you i've already overcome all of that i faced everything you faced yet without sin and i've already overcome all of those things i've already responded in a holy righteous way to all the things that you're dealing with i'm able to help you come to me and let me take your hand in god's hand and let me give you the life that you want to live Never go to God and say, God, you just don't understand. God totally understands. Let me further say this to you. Never be embarrassed. Never be embarrassed to go to God and asking for help and telling him everything that's going on in your life. Sometimes we think, man, if I told God everything that's going on, he'd be scandalized. He already knows everything that's going on. He'd like to talk it out with you. You say, well, I've got some things in my life that are just scandalous. He, it's not going to scandalize him, trust me. He's already dealt with, fill in the blank, whatever it is you think is so scandalous about your life or so heavy or so dark or so dirty or so whatever, he's already conquered that. He's already dealt with that, and he can help you overcome. It's not going to take him by surprise. If anyone could understand what you're going through, it's him. So this morning, he understands your dilemma. He's familiar with your disappointments. He knows the temptation to get frustrated, the temptation to be angry. He's sympathetic to what hurt feelings look like. Frankly, he's just been where you are. Can you imagine, can you imagine the frustration that Jesus must have experienced, particularly to me on the night of Gethsemane? Now, this is his last night alive on earth in the morning they'll be nailing him to a cross by the afternoon he'll be dead his last night on earth before the crucifixion you know they have the upper room experience they they, they take communion together they, they they pray a little bit he washes their feet all that's happening in the upper room. then they go outside to the garden of gethsemane and he's going to pray there in in the garden for a while now just imagine he had invested jesus had invested three years roughly discipling this group of men 
For three years, everything Jesus did, he did for their benefit. He spent pretty much every waking hour with this group of disciples for the last three years. Everything he did was sacrificial for them. He's never asked them for one thing. And everything he did has been for their development and for their benefit. And then on his last night on planet Earth, before he's crucified, he comes to his disciples and he says, Guys, I've never asked you for anything, but tonight I need you. Tonight I need, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me here in the garden for an hour? I've never asked you for anything, but tonight is my biggest hour of temptation. This is my biggest trial I'm about to face. Tonight I need you. Would you pray for me? Would you do something for me? Just one hour of prayer. He comes, goes into the garden and prays. He comes back. And how does he find them? In what condition does he find his disciples? Anybody know? Yeah, they're fast asleep. So he wakes them up and he says, guys, guys, listen, listen, I, I, I know you're tired, but listen, this is a desperate hour for me. They couldn't see the big picture. It's a desperate hour for me. I've never asked you for anything in three years, but tonight, tonight's my turn to call you instead of you calling me. T- tonight is my time to, 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 I need you. Can you minister to me? Please watch and pray with me. He walks away and they go right to sleep. Listen, this happened like three times. He comes back to him again. He says, guys, wake up. Please, I'm desperate to have someone help me in this hour. I've never asked you for anything. I've only been giving, and you've been taking. But tonight, I'm asking you, please pray with me. Pray for me right now. He goes into the garden and prays, comes back, and they're fast asleep. Finally, he says, sleep on, guys. Just sleep on. The time is at hand now. Now I want to just ask you, what if you had been Jesus Christ? Would you have said, okay, listen, that's it. (laughs) I'm done trying to lead a group of disciples. They're not reliable. They're not consistent. They're not serious. It's all about them. As long as they're taking, they're happy. But when I ask them to give back, when I ask them to give back one thing suddenly they're 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 not available for me suddenly they're out they're they're not there anymore they've checked out it's it's all it's all take it's no give listen this is frustrating i've been doing everything for the last three years to develop them to help them be all that god wants them to be and for the first time in three years when i need just one hour of their time to minister to me then they're not available for me i'm done Heck with this discipleship stuff. You ever been tempted like that? Listen, making disciples is not easy work. Helping people develop is not, not easy work. Being a giver, and 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 a giver. Listen, Jesus did that for, for three years, and he gave in an extraordinary way. But if the Lord tarries his coming, some of you are going to be making disciples for 10, 20, 30, 40 50 years because you're very young don't stop don't quit don't get frustrated this is the same temptation it's a it's a temptation jesus could have come back in the garden and said okay that's it you're all fired i'll find better disciples now let me just ask you did those men change the world did they yeah he had the right guys and they just it was a development process and it's frustrating he had the right guys they were just weak. And I want to just tell you, they didn't really understand. Jesus is up here like 30,000 feet seeing the big picture of everything. And those of you who are more spiritually mature in this room, you can see the bigger picture. You can see the implications of discipling someone. You can see the implication of a man and woman leading their family in, 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 to, to be disciples of Christ. You can see the kids getting saved. You, you, some of you can see that right now. Here's about to be some happy new parents here soon. I'm going to see their child being saved. I'm going to see their grandkids being saved. I'm going to see multi in the first service. Here's grandparents and their grown son and daughter and, and the grandkid getting saved and telling the church this morning. That's the big picture. Disciples couldn't see the big picture. All they saw was, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. It's been a long week. Passover was exhausting. I'm going to take an afternoon nap. That's all they could understand, what was right here. Jesus had a completely different and much, much larger perspective. And if we had been in Jesus' sandals, we would have been tempted to become resentful or upset or or offended. 
But when you read the scripture, you notice Jesus didn't respond in any of those ways. He didn't fall in the trap of resentment or unforgiveness. In fact, some hours later, having been abused all night and all morning, having been nailed to a cross, he looks at his tormentors and says, Father, forgive them. You talk about face the temptation to be angry or bitter or resentful. You talk about have your feelings hurt. <laughs> have your back ripped off and nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns jammed into your head. Talk about get your feelings hurt. <laughs> and yet he didn't appear to have his feelings hurt after all the abuse he received. When Jesus says, I get you, this is not a small matter, ladies and gentlemen. He's been hurt. He's been tempted in ways far probably worse than we have been. He says, I totally, totally get you. So when your feelings get hurt or you're tempted to be offended, you remember that Jesus is on your side and he knows exactly how you feel. I need to preach a whole sermon on this another time just because it's such a biblical topic. There's a great verse in the Bible that says this, Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Listen to what the Bible says. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. God's people are to be experts on not getting offended by anything. Anything. We're experts on following Jesus on this matter and not getting our feelings hurt and not getting our feathers ruffled and knowing how to help people and knowing how to follow a biblical model here. The next time you feel frustrated with someone, rather than trying to handle it in your own power, run to your great high priest, Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, I'm tempted right now just to bite this person's head off. God, give me the words to say. God, I'm tempted right now to be angry. When you're about to get your feelings hurt, you can feel it coming on. Amen? It doesn't just happen zero to a hundred. You feel it building here. When you feel it building, run to your great high priest and say, God, I'm in one of those moments right now. And Jesus, I feel this building in my life. I could get really angry. I could get my feelings hurt over what somebody did or said or how they responded. But God, I don't want to live that way. Help me respond the way you would respond if you were standing here right now. He is your faithful high priest and he will help you be like him. Jesus gets you. That's why he's a great high priest. I, I don't know if you've, you've been in church all your life, but maybe you've heard pastors or if you read the Bible, you're thinking about these mediators. And you think, I don't even know if they understand me. I just want you to know this. When we're talking about Jesus, he always understands you. Secondly, not only does he get you, number two, he gives you direct access to God. This is another really, really big deal. Because all throughout human history, you didn't have direct access to God. You had to go through somebody to get to God. And that somebody was a human being who had his own weaknesses, had his own sins, had his own prejudices, had his own tribalism, had his own hang-ups. But that, you had to go through that person to get to God. Even today, some of the religions of the world claim to be that church. And you have to go through that particular church or that particular priest or that particular thing in order to get to God Jesus blew all of that up and he said you no longer have to go through anything but me I'm the way of the truth and the life he comes the father comes through me I am the door except you enter in another way the same as a thief and a rock come through the door to get to God I am the way he, he takes all of the old and says, that's done. Now I give you something new, and it's way better. Pastor David will be preaching about the new covenant next week, how everything we have right now is better than they ever had it in history. Listen, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to a sacrificial system. I don't want to go back to human high priest. I don't want to go back to hauling ice for an ice box to keep my eggs warm. I don't want to go back to the uh, horse and buggy days. I'm not romantic about that stuff. I like a car with an automatic transmission and an air-conditioned house and, and a refrigerator and a freezer and electricity and Jesus Christ mediating the new covenant a million times better than a Levitical priest of the Old Testament. I don't want to go back. New covenant's way, way better because Jesus gives you and I direct access to God. Let me show it to you in the Scripture, okay? Hebrews 4.16. Now we're going to put this verse up and we're going, to, we're going to study this verse for a little bit this morning. Let us therefore come boldly. It's telling us how to approach God. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain. So how to come to God? 
that we may obtain. We're to get something. There's action happening there. Grabbing, getting something. And we're finding something. And we're getting some help in a time of need. Let's just take this verse apart. The verse begins by telling us how to approach God. Jesus wants us to be bold. Do you see that? Let us therefore come boldly. Jesus wants you to be bold. Now, let us therefore come boldly. Takes all of those English words to translate just a little Greek word, parisia. Parisia is that Greek verb, that Greek word that says come boldly. In the ancient times, parisia, this word was used to articulate the freedom of speech. Now you live in the great country of freedom of speech. But in the first century when the Bible was written, there was no such thing as freedom of speech. You couldn't just go out into the streets and protest. You couldn't just go out there and say, we're down with Caesar, away with the Roman government, away with the Roman army. They'd take your head off your body. I mean, you couldn't just go out and say whatever you want to say. You couldn't go out into the streets and say, we don't like the high priest. We want to. You couldn't say what was on your mind. You couldn't speak freely what was in your heart. So they had this word in the Greek, parisia, this word that's being used right here. Let us come boldly to describe freedom of speech, which in the first century was rare, but it depicted a person who's speaking so boldly, straightforwardly, with great confidence, and they were speaking out so much that it would get rebuke or it would draw scorn. People say, you can't say that, be quiet. Or, hey, we're going to throw you in jail. Or, hey, we're going to kill you. And you were rebuked, scorned, or punished for your uh, speaking so openly or speaking so boldly. You say, why do I care? Here's why you care. The Holy Spirit used this particular word when recording the Scripture. This is God's word. He said, I want you to come to me with parisia. I want you to come to me with freedom of speech, with frankness, with candor, with boldness. Don't hold anything back. Don't measure carefully what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Don't be politically correct. When you come to me, you just come with boldness and frankness and sincerity. I've often told you I think all of us should be in therapy. All of us should be in counseling to some manner. Because it's so healthy to lay on someone's couch and say whatever you want to say. And leave it there in a safe place. Does that make sense? It's so therapeutic and it's so healthy just to be able to say what you want to say. And often we think, well, when I pray to God, when I go to God for help, I have to say it in a magic formula. I have to say it in a certain way. It's almost like we're sorcerers or something. We have to say abracadabra. We have to say it in a certain way in order for God to, to hear our prayer. He's saying exactly the opposite to you this morning. He's saying, you come to me with boldness, with straightforwardness, with candor. Don't measure. Don't guard your speech. Just pour it out. You have free speech at the throne of God. Is that pretty cool? Pretty cool. You can just come to God and you can say whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, because that's the word the Holy Spirit chose to use when translating the Scripture. Just say it to me. Never fear that you're going to be too bold. Never fear that if you tell God everything that's on your heart, He's going to rebuke you. Don't fear that. He said, I want you to tell me. Now, if our thinking's all wrong, He may guide you with Scripture or with the Holy Spirit to get your uh, thinking correct, but God will never rebuke you. He's never going to scorn you from just pouring your heart. Uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to get into your head too much this morning, but I don't always want to listen to everything everybody has to say. And sometimes when we approach God, because we feel that way, we think, I'm not sure God wants to hear this. The Scripture has already told you that God wants to hear whatever you have to say. He's interested in what you have to say because He loves you and He's in a relationship or wants to be in a relationship with you as your mediator, as your high priest. He wants to know what's on your heart he wants to know what you're feeling he wants you just to pour it out to him don't hold anything back so when we come to him in prayer don't be afraid of being too bold he wants to hear exactly what you have to say secondly the use of the word parisia tells us that god will never rebuke you 
for telling him exactly what you think. That's a wonderful thing because I need, I need to know I'm in a relationship with God in such a way that I can just pour my heart out and be genuine. All right, he's a better high priest because he's saying to us, I, 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 want, I, I want you to be bold. You can come to me with boldness. And then he goes on to say, I want you to be intentional about receiving something. When you come to me, I want you to be very intentional about getting what it is that you came for. And the Greek word here, obtain, that we may obtain, that we may obtain is the Greek word lambano. It can be translated in two ways depending on the context of the sentence in which it's used. Lambano, obtain, can mean to seize something aggressively by force. In other words, there it is and I grab it and I rip it away and I make it my own. Just aggressively take it and it's mine. Or, if the context is this way, lambano can mean to gently and graciously receive something. Now, I think God gave us such a word with such duality because how you receive what you need from God may be determined by your own personal circumstances. How you receive something from God may be determined by the struggles that you're going through and by the inward uh, 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 pressures that you're feeling. That may determine how you receive God's help. In other words, if your mind is tormented and you feel like the whole world is pressing in on you and there's a thousand voices trying to speak for your attention, he says aggressively push that out of your mind, aggressively push back on all of that and with force reach up and seize and obtain what you need from God. Or if you're in a good healthy place this morning, living a nice peaceful life, just, it's kind of a joke, huh? But if you are, maybe you are, then just reach up gently and receive what God has and let it flow into your life. Here's what God's really saying, David. He's saying whether your life is, is really tough and you're in a hard spot right now or whether you're in a really good spot right now, either way, come to me and just let the blessings of God come into your life. If you have to push back on the voices of darkness and reach up and take what I have or if you can just let it flow into your life, however you've got to get it, you get from God what you need from God to be healthy and to be happy and to live the abundant life that you need to live. God is willing to give you what you need, but you have to receive it. Listen, we, we try to help a lot of people, but not everybody can be helped. We try to coach a lot of people, we try to make a lot of disciples, but not everybody's willing to follow the guidance. Does that make sense? God is willing to help you, but you have to be willing to receive into your life what he wants to give you as help. Be intentional about receiving. The next word in this sentence is... Uh, Eucharios, it's the Greek word that tells you that Jesus wants you to find solutions to your problems. He wants you to find solutions to your frustrations. He wants you to find solutions when you don't have answers. And we know that because of the words here, that you may obtain mercy and find. The word find is Greek eukarios. It's where we get in English, the English word eureka. Now this was popular during the gold rush in America. They went and dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and then somebody shouted, Eureka! I found it is the translation of that word. I found it. I got my hands on that which I was digging for, which I was searching. Eureka! I have discovered what I was searching for. Uh, that you may find the word Eucharios is descriptive of the joy that flows into our life after we've experienced searching for something and then finding that thing that we've searched for. It's about a discovery and the joy that comes with discovery. Now, the word can be used for yourself. I discovered something for me. has an interesting little definition. Or it can mean you discover or acquire something for someone else. Now, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may find help in a time of need. doesn't just mean help for you. It means help for someone else. So when we come to God, see, the, 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 the young Christian, the immature Christian says, I, I, me, me, my, my, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need. If you've been saved more than a year and you're still praying that way, you're not growing, you're not growing spiritually in your prayer life. As you begin to develop spiritually, you start learning to pray, God, I have a friend in need. 
God, my wife. God, my children. God, my neighbor. God, I know people who are sick. God, I know people who are Let me ask you straight up. Do, do you know of anyone who needs physical healing? Man, if you don't, I'll give you a whole list of people that, that I know you can pray with me about. Gosh, one of our young mothers here. She's got a little, little boy about this big. She's diagnosed with brain cancer. She's undergoing chemo right now after a brain surgery. We're trying to go over and hold her hand during the daytimes. Drive her to her chemo treatments. Take her family food. You don't think we're down on our knees crying out to God right now. God, would you please intercede on her behalf and give her healing. She needs a miracle. She's young. Do do you know of anyone who needs deliverance from addiction? Go and get it for them. You say, well, don't they need to go and get it? No, you go and get it for them. There's a story in the Bible about four guys that ripped the roof off of a house and let their friend down with ropes on a bed. Do you remember that story? And Jesus said, I'm going to heal him because I see your faith. The man on the bed didn't say anything about his faith, but his four friends had a whole lot of faith. They thought if they get him to Jesus, they could get him to obtain help. <laughs> he could find help. He could, Eureka! Uh, they could find something that he need, and it would deliver. What I'm saying is our faith sometimes would be enough to get people what they need. When he said, you come and find, find for yourself, but do, do you know of anybody who needs peace of mind? Do you know of anyone who needs healing in their marriage? Do you know of anyone who needs healing in a relationship? Do you know of anyone struggling with their children and their relationship? Do you know of anyone who needs a financial breakthrough? If you don't, I'll lift my hand. You can pray for me, okay? Listen, do you know of anyone who has needs? Wow, get down on... And so maybe this is where we really get under conviction this morning because we understand we've not been praying this way. But this is why God banded you together in a covenant with a church, 500 other Christians. Isn't it great? Wouldn't it be great? To get up tomorrow morning and know your small group leader was praying for you. Your mom and dad were praying for you. 500 other church members were praying for you. Interceding to God on your behalf that you could give what you need from God. and Live the life that you want to live. That's why God put us together in a covenant. And banded us into a church body. A lot of times people say things to me. I don't know why I need the church. Oh you don't need anybody praying for you? Wow you must be living an awesome life over there. You know. But I could use all the prayer I can get. I'll tell you that. And I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat. We, we'd love to know there are people sincerely on their knees calling our name to God, seeking for our family the things that we stand in need of. We can go to our great high priest and we can ask boldly for our disciples to receive what they need, for our friends to receive what they need, for our neighbors to get what they need. Eureka! God, let's pray. Let's get it for them. You say, that's too bold. No, that's how he told me to pray. Just come right in and say, here's what we need. Man, the, you know, Chris needs this, and Alan needs this, and Chuck needs this, and Melba needs this, and Damon needs this. Come on, God, help us out here. Deliver it into our hands. He said, pray boldly for yourself, but also for others. Then there's another word here that proves that Jesus wants to fight for you. The last phrase here that you can find help in time of need. Help in time of need. The Greek word there is boethia. It's a military word. Boethia means we're in battle. And boethia describes the exact moment when your buddy calls out to you over here. And he says, hey, I'm surrounded over here. Come and help me out for a minute. And you run from your position and get out of your foxhole and come over here side by side or back to back. Or right here with your buddy, your comrade, your friend. And you fight with him to gain deliverance for him. You're over here doing your thing and you hear a cry. Can I get a little boy with you over here? And you look up and you see your friend in distress. And like you're, you're you, without hesitation, without overthinking it, you just run and fight for your friend. The Holy Spirit used that same word to tell us this is how you need to cry to God when you get into trouble. You need to cry out to Jesus in a time of need with boldness in this way and say, God, can I get a little help over here? And instantly, like a mighty warrior rising up in the heat of battle, Jesus Christ comes to your defense side by side and fights for your deliverance. Now I'm asking you this morning, why in the world would anybody want to fight alone when Jesus will fight for you and with you? 
Listen, when Jesus fights, he's always on the winning side. So the next time you're struggling with temptation or you're struggling with hurt feelings or you're struggling with, with, with depression or you're struggling with wants and needs or illness or anything else in your life, cry out to your great high priest and say, Can I get some help down here right now? I can't tell you how many times in my prayer life I've used this exact English sentence. God, will you please come and fight for me now? That's what this word means right here. Boy, the grace and help to help in time of need. God, I'm being assaulted. Would you come and fight for us now? It's the way I pray for your family sometimes when I know you're going through a battle. I get on my knees and I say, God, would you come and fight for the McMurdo's right now? God, would you come and fight for their family right now? Rise up like a mighty warrior and come down and fight for your people. You say, can you pray that way? God's all but begging you to. Matter of fact, maybe he's just waiting for you to cry out. He stands ready as the warrior of the universe, the great captain of our salvation, to come and fight for you. Just waiting. If you've got it, okay. Do you have it? You got it under control? You don't, you don't need God? Well, if you've got it, go ahead. I want to fall on my knees and say, God, I don't got anything. I can barely find my way to my own car after the search. God, I need you to come and fight for me in my life. Listen, start praying differently. Start praying boldly to get what you need, to find help that you need. Cry out to a God who is able to deliver you. And when the mightiest warrior of the universe comes to your aid, you're going to win. Amen? You're going to succeed because he doesn't lose. Listen, matter of fact, you say, well, what, you know, they killed him. Yeah, but he rose from the dead. Have you read Revelation 1? I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I got the keys of death and hell hanging right here. You gave me your best shot, devil. The world gave me its biggest onslaught. Yeah, it stung. But look, O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I've already whipped both of those. You have nothing to fear. The great captain of your salvation will come and fight for you. Now, let me wrap this thing up. Our time is done. Here's why Jesus is a better high priest. Number one, he gets you. That's going to be a great comfort to you this week when you get on your knees, okay? To say, God, oh gosh, I'm so relieved you understand what I'm feeling and what I'm going through right now. Number two, he gives you direct access to God. So when you're talking to Jesus, your high priest, you are talking to God. You're not talking through a middleman, through a middleman, through a middleman, through a middleman. Put on hold, push seven, get to number eight, push nine, sorry, wrong department, try again. When you bow your head and cry out to Jesus Christ, your Savior, he said, I have plugged you directly into God, standing at the throne of God. Son, daughter, what do you need? Quit beating around the bush and give it to me. Boldly, freedom of speech, lay it on me. I want you to get what you need while we're here. Oh, you need me to come and fight? Well, don't, boy, don't make me get up off this throne. I will. I will come and fight for you, and listen, I will surround you with, with power, and I will surround you with my presence. I am the God. I will do that for my brothers and my sisters. And here's the third one this morning. He's a better high priest because he lives forever. He lives forever. Now, I don't have to explain this. Let me just read the verse, and it'll explain itself. Jesus has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent. Didn't mean he came through the right family, the tribe of Levi. That old system is blown up and done away with. Jesus has become your high priest by the power of an indestructible life. They took their best shot and he took his life back up from the grave and said, Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I saw a funny cartoon. I should have put it up on the screen this morning. Some of you who love comics, Jesus is sitting on an I-beam overlooking New York City and Spider-Man and Hulk and Superman and they're all, all the superheroes are sitting there and Jesus is sitting there telling them a story and the little caption is dot, dot, dot and that's how I saved the world. I'll tell you how he saved the world and how he became your high priest. He's indestructible. He has no kryptonite. He gets you. He understands you. He lives forever. You say he died. He rose again. 
That's the seal of it. That's the power of God on it. He has an indestructible life. Let me keep reading Hebrews 7.23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death. We read this last week. From continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Let's read this next verse. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him seeing he always lives, always, he's never going to go away, never going to cease, never going to stop listening, never going to stop answering, never going to be diminished in power. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Let me just sum up in this way. Jesus is better high priest because he's everything we're not. He's everything we are not. He is not weak. He is not sinful. He is not tribal. He's a priest for everyone. He's already conquered death. He forever lives to make intercession for us. And we band together this morning in the new covenant because of Jesus Christ, our high priest. We've pledged to live together for Christ and if necessary, to die for Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, you understand why we give an offering. We've pledged our income, our wealth, our livelihood. That each one of us will give a portion of our wealth so we can further the mission of Jesus Christ and make disciples into the next generations. Because we're in a covenant together. When you're connected to Jesus Christ, your high priest, you are connected directly to God. And everything that you want in an abundant life is yours through that relationship with Jesus Christ. He gets you. And He wants to deliver you. And He wants you to come with boldness. Now this is a th- this message is very plugged into prayer and asking. So I think in this conclusion of this service, let's let's end this one a little different this morning. Uh, let's end this service by praying together for two or three minutes before we go home. And in this closing of the message, whether you need to come and join at the altars here, or you want to make prayer altar out of the seat where you're sitting. Let's go to God this morning and let's do exactly what he told us to do. Come boldly to the throne of grace and whatever the need of your life is, whatever the issue is that you're dealing with, or if you want to pray for other people that you know who are in dire need this morning, come boldly to the throne of grace and let's obtain for ourselves or them what we need right now. Doesn't that seem fair?